Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. Thank you so much for having us here. We really do, um, we love this church a whole lot. Um, We love you guys, even those we haven't met. And I don't just mean that in a generic way because we're the family of God. I I mean, genuinely, we've seen a lot of your journey. Uh, We love your pastors. We love your leaders. We love the heart of this community. And uh, I even love, like, Glory Hills, like, the name of this area is Glory Hills. How, how much better that would be? We took an exit to Callahoo. I felt like I was in a Dr. Seuss book for a minute there. It was great. <laughs> We're just going to Callahoo. Right on. So it's just perfect. Um, and I just want to thank you for, for the, the, the way that you prioritize the big things. Um, we knew as soon as we stepped in this morning and, and the, the team was praying, man, this is, this is a good thing. And the worship team gets up and, man just exalts Jesus in a way that sets us all up uh, where we need to be, puts our eyes in the right place. What a wonderful job they've done. And I just got to tell you, uh, Pastor Jeremy and Brandy, like, you guys got gold there. I mean, they have pastor's hearts. Um, You may not know this, but not everybody that's pastoring is really a pastor. Uh, (laughs) And so, you know, that's not everybody's fault. And sometimes God puts us in seasons for certain times, but um, sometimes, you know, that's just not what they're there to do, and uh, maybe they think it's a stepping stone to something else, and they're in for a bit of an awakening, but uh, these guys are, are real pastors, and you can tell by the way they love the people, and I believe they love the people because God loves you, and so that they have that love, and I want to thank God for that. Um, today, I'd love for you to open your Bibles with me uh, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, which you're allowed, and I'm just going to tell you this right now, you're allowed to read that outside of Christmas time. You can read it. In January, you can read it in October. We're allowed to read Isaiah 9. It's not just Christmas. It's all the time. Um, and I really do like, I like messages that, I, I like all sorts of messages. But, you know, I, I really appreciate messages that are practical, that put feet to our faith, that say, here's what the Lord says to do. Here's how you do it. Um, but just a disclaimer this morning, I want to actually pull back a bit. We're going to take a bit of a wider zoom um, and whatever the word for unzoom is, we're going to do that. We're going to pull back and try to see some big picture. And then, you know, all the, all the details will come out of that. And I don't have time this morning to give all the details, but I know the Lord does. And so I just want to ignite something in you, which is a love and an appreciation and a need for, for the body of Christ in the world we live in today. Uh, we all are aware uh, that we still live in a broken world, just like the world was when Jesus came. It's still broken in many ways. You live in, a, in communities that, that have that brokenness. You live in, in a planet that carries the groaning for the return of Christ. We know that there is still a lot of consequences that came from humanity's fault. And we know that Jesus came, and while he, 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 he showed us what it's like to be one with the Father, he showed us as he was fully God and fully man, he showed us the Father, but he also showed us what humanity is meant to look like. I mean, he's the true human. As much fully God as he is, and as fully man as he is, I mean, he showed us this is what humanity looks like. This is what redeemed humanity is meant to look like. This is what we look like without sin. And so there's an example set for us. 
And yet you guys know that Jesus, in his time on the earth, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers, he cast out evil spirits, he preached the kingdom wherever he went. But not every community was perfect. Not every, per- not every group of people were perfect. We still know, he said, if they hated me, They'll hate you. So there's still work to be done. There's still ministry to be done. There's, there's still a part to play. And, and there'll still be something that only he can do when he comes back and makes all things right. We know that. But I want to talk to you about our mission here and, and, and ultimately what God's always wanted for humanity, which is to be amongst his people, which is to be amongst the people, which is for heaven and earth to come together through his presence. I want you to read with me in Isaiah chapter 9. In verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea. He made it glorious. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness... Like, what is deep darkness? I mean, in my mind, deep darkness, it's so dark, you don't know it's dark anymore. You, you don't even know what it's like to see. It's like the deepest parts of the ocean where those organisms don't have eyes. It's that dark, they don't have the ability to see. They use other methods to, to get around. When you're in deep darkness, there, there's, there's not a craving for light anymore. There's an adjustment. This is the way it is. And it says here that, that there's a visiting, you know, like Zechariah, uh, John the Baptist's father said, you know, sunrise from on high has visited us. There's a visiting of a light. It's not just an idea that would come to you and that'll be the light. And, you know, when, when we walk through the, the enlightenment period, the idea was that reason would enlighten us. Now we have science, we have reason, we have logic. We're enlightened. But this isn't talking about an idea or even a truth that will bring light. It's talking about a person. Jesus is the light that is being talked about here. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The book of Matthew tells us that this prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus set up his ministry in Galilee. When he set up his ministry, it said that fulfilled this scripture, that the place that was in great gloom and despair and darkness, he said he was going to make it glorious. Don't you love that, that, that phrase, I'm going to make this place glorious? He didn't make this place glorious by building a bunch of really good buildings or, or cleaning up the mess around, around the river. I mean, all of that's great, but what made it glorious was the presence of Jesus. It was the presence of Jesus. The community, as we know, was not perfect. Uh, it, he, didn't, he didn't solve all society's ills, although he is the answer. But it was glorious because he was there. I don't want you to see that, that throughout history, this has been the reality that God has wanted. You look back and uh, look back at the Garden of Eden before the fall of humanity, before Adam and Eve sinned. What did we have? We had God and we had humans. And, and, and there wasn't a separation. There wasn't a division. 
We had the presence of God with them. They walked with God. They knew him. They knew his presence. There was was a connection there. And so in a sense, if we really break down what a temple is, what is a temple? Like in the Bible, what's a temple? It's the place where God's presence dwells. It's It's really a place where heaven and earth come together. That temple is a place where heaven and earth come together. But heaven and earth don't come together because there's just a magic portal in the temple. They come together because God's presence is there. And in the Old Testament, there were requirements for this temple. There was only certain people that could go certain, you know, this far into the temple. But it was always known, this is where God's presence dwells. This is where he is. This is where we go and meet with God. And if you think about it, the Garden of Eden was really the original temple. It's a place where heaven and earth came together. It was where God dwelt with his people. That's his desire. And if you go all the way to the the story of the Hebrew people in slavery in Egypt, and Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, and what do they say? Let us go out to the wilderness that we might worship our God. Let's go out. Just let us go so that our people can go worship God in the wilderness. Now, I always read that as a bit of a... uh, you know, a sneaky thing, right? Like they're going to say they're going to go, but they're really never coming home. You know, good move. And in a sense, that, that there seems to be some of that because they say we're going for three days, which I'm pretty sure the plan was to be gone longer than that. But what if that was one of the main purposes for them to go into the wilderness? Was to worship God. Was to find him there. Was to be reintroduced. To know him as Father. One of the things they didn't know about him is, is who he was. He, he introduced himself and said, these are my firstborn people. Well, this, the way they still thought of him was as they thought of their slave masters. He's a God that doesn't really love us. Even when they came to the promised land and they refused, they said, we sat in our tents and said, God hates us. So he probably brought us here to die. I would imagine a lot of times the, the reason we don't step into the things God's called us to or, or we're afraid to go where he's pushing us is because We're not convinced that he's our father and he loves us. And we have somewhere in our minds like, he's just pranking me. This is is not going to turn out well. God hates us. He brought us here to die. And so he introduces himself through many signs and wonders and ways. And there's this moment when he brings him out of Egypt. Do you guys remember, if you've read this story, there's a really awkward part of them coming out of Egypt. I mean, I would say all the the death is awkward, but um, especially... There's this really strange thing that God has them do before they leave. And by this point, the Egyptians are saying, just get out of here. We don't want you anymore. You're causing us trouble. And God says, wait a minute. Before you go, I want you to go door to door to these former slave owners, the people you used to call master, the people that mistreated you. I want you to go door to door, and I want you to ask them for things. Give me all your gold. Give me all your silver. Give me all your acacia. Give me all your porpoise skins. How, anybody keeping a, a spare chest of porpoise skins in your house? And, and maybe we go by. They, that was one of the things God asked them to ask for. Ask for their porpoise skins. Ask for all their stuff. And I don't know how incredibly awkward. Most of us wouldn't even want to go door to door to sell chocolate, let alone plundering our neighbors. And, and just in case you don't, don't get any ideas, I'm not telling you to do that right now. It's a different age. But God told the Hebrews to do this. Go, go ask them for all these things. I'm, I imagine it was something many of them didn't want to do. And think about it. 
This is stuff they don't need. They're going into the wilderness. What do you need gold for? What do you need silver for? It's more of a pain than anything. The Bible says they left laden down with silver and with gold. Now that might be convenient when you're in, in, this, you're in the big city, when you're in a place where there's marketplaces. It's not super convenient wandering through the desert. But what happens? What happens? Eventually God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle, a place where I can dwell among you. And he says, you know what we're going to need? Gold, silver, wood, porpoise skins. We need all of that. It all had a purpose. And the purpose was a place where God could set up a tent in the middle of their tents. I want a house in the middle of your houses. I want you to be able to pack this place up and go take it wherever you're going because I want to be in the middle of my people. These are my people, and I'm their God. These are my children. I'm their father. And by my presence, all the nations are going to know you're different. They're going to know who I am by looking at you. And then you see, through David and Solomon, he gives them a plan to build a temple, a permanent temple. But something beautiful happens in the new covenant we see in John chapter 1. What does he say? In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The literal language that's used in the Greek is the same language they used in the Septuagint for the tabernacle. It, the Word came and tabernacled amongst us. God came and set up his tent in the middle of our tents. Because he wants to dwell with people. He wants to dwell with people in bodily form. He, I mean, I, you know, I, I know that, that, that God is spirit, but what he did through Jesus, Jesus is the embodiment of God. He came and he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He brought that presence to us. And the Bible says, if you go on in John, it says that we beheld him, we handled him, we saw him full of glory full of grace, full of truth. We got to see God. And I just, I, I love that because that's how we've all come here today. It's because we've met Jesus. We've been introduced to God. We understand him. John goes on to say, he goes, nobody has seen God with their eyes. But Jesus has explained him to us. Because we saw Jesus, we saw God. And this is what he says in Isaiah 9. This place is the dump. This place is the ghetto. This place is miserable. But it's going to be glorious because you're going to be there. And you think about where God's put us, the communities he's put us in, the jobs he's put us in, the schools he's put us in, the places he chooses to set up a, a group of people to build a church, which is not the building, it's the people. And you realize that God's plan to make these communities glorious is to fill it with his presence. And the way he fills it with his presence is to fill it with his people. You know, Ephesians chapter 1, and let me read this to you. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn to it right here. I was saying as I was talking to the team about the, uh, which verses to, to kind of prepare, 
it's really tough to draw a line in some of these letters and go, let's just start right here in the middle of a run-on sentence. Paul did that a lot. Have you ever noticed that? He has these run-on sentences and you can't figure out where he starts or stops. And then we put a chapter right in the middle of a sentence. And so sometimes it's tough when you're preaching because you're like, well, we kind of have to go back. But then if we do that, we're going to have to really go back. So what I want you to do is I want you to read this with me and I want you to promise me at some point this week you'll get your Bible out and you'll read the whole thing. Not the whole Bible to this week. But you'll read, the, you'll read this, this, uh, at least the first chapter of Ephesians. Let this sink into you. But I want you to see when he talks about Jesus and all that's been placed under Jesus' feet and all that Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection, and the battle he won and the victory he obtained and, and the fact that every name that's named is under him. Then he wraps it up with this thought. He talks about Jesus preaching peace to those who were far and bringing them near. And then he says when he's talking about what Christ has done. And let's go to verse 22. It says, and he put all things under his feet. Ephesians 1.22 he put all things under his feet, and he gave him, that's Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So it says, he gave Jesus as head of the church, which is his body. We are the only body that Jesus has on this earth. We're it. He's not working at a gas station in Nashville, you know, just kind of trying to stay incognito or anything. He's, 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 we're, hit. We're, the, we're the body of Christ. We are the embodiment of Christ himself. And it says here that he, the church is meant to be his fullness. And that tells me that we're not meant to be a piece of Christ or just a taste of Christ. We are meant to be full of Christ. Like the world should see everything that Jesus is through his church. Not just his church going, well, we, we, we know a couple of things, but let me point you over here, read this book, do this. But the church is meant, in, in, in whatever way God has designed it, the church is meant to be so full of Jesus that his fullness fills our community, fills our world, fills our workplace, fills our schools. How is Jesus going to fill my school with his presence? He's going to fill it with his people. You know, this is the thing that we've often said, we've talked about at our church a lot, is that, you know, you sometimes just say, the, these people need Jesus. And we, used to be when you said people need Jesus, it was like a call to action. And lately when you say, you need Jesus, it's just kind of a way of saying, you're just, you're, you're so messed up, I can't help you, right? Like, have you ever look at somebody and go, man, you need Jesus. It's just kind of like, I give up. You need Jesus. Sometimes you're just looking around at the world going, man, you guys need Jesus. This is busted up. This is messed up. I don't know how anybody could ever fix it. You need Jesus. Well, what we're really saying, when we're saying you need Jesus, when we say the world needs Jesus, when we say Canada needs Jesus, what we're saying is they need the church. They need the church. The problem is they don't need a church that's not full of Jesus. Because they're not getting Jesus then. They're getting whatever culture we're trying to sell them. And if it's not full of Jesus, it's something else. 
And so what they need is the world needs Jesus. If, they, if the world needs Jesus, then the world needs the church. But if the world needs the church, they need a church that's so full of Jesus, so full of his spirit that that's what's being represented, that that's what's filling the place. The presence of Jesus will make a place glorious. It doesn't automatically fix everybody. Because Jesus was rejected, right? He was despised and rejected. If you want to be part of the body of Christ, you'll be despised and rejected. People will misunderstand you. People will miss your intentions and think you're doing something totally different. And if you're hung up on that, you'll never fulfill the call of God because you'll be so afraid of people that you really can't live out the, the mission and the call of Jesus. You have to just say, Lord, what do you want to do right here in 2023? And it hasn't changed that much. I mean, we might have more technology. We might have, uh, we're a little less brutal in certain ways. We're a little more brutal in other ways. But it hasn't changed that much. We all know that. We know that the same gospel, the same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, it's the same thing that God wants to do here that he did 2,000 years ago. He wants to make this area glorious. He wants to make Canada glorious. But that doesn't really mean what we think it means. Because if our vision of making Canada glorious is exalting Canada above all other nations, that ain't it. That's not it. Because look at Galilee. Look at Judea. That's not what happened there. What made it glorious? The kingdom of God was coming near to them. We all know this. When the kingdom of God comes near, broken things are healed. Lost people are brought back. Things that have been dead come back to life. Like that image in, 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 in C.S. Lewis's Magician's Nephew when Aslan sings and as he sings, everything that the song touches comes to life. Some of the old uh, rabbis and scholars believe that's how God created the world. He sang a song and sang it into existence. But however he did it, it's his voice going out. It's his presence that fills this place, that, that, that begins to bring dead things to life. And when the kingdom of God does that, there's always another force that butts up against it. The kingdom of God takes up space. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a seed, and it's like a small seed that becomes a very big seed, becomes a very big tree. He says it's like a little bit of yeast and worked into the dough, and pretty soon it fills the whole lump of dough. The kingdom of God is like that tree in your backyard that you thought would only take up a little bit of space, but then it starts knocking things out of the way. And that's really what the presence of God in your own life is going to do, right? You think, this is, this is my space for Jesus. This is my space. I have Sundays, and I do this thing on Wednesday, and I have this. This is my spiritual time. This is what I'm doing. I exercise for my body. I, I do this much for my spirit. And you begin to have this waffle life where you have nice segments for everything. But then the kingdom of God starts butting up against the garage, it starts knocking other buildings out of the way because it takes up space. You really can't be filled with Christ without your schedule being messed up and your relationships changing. You'll know when the kingdom of God has come near to you because it's, it's, it's violent in some ways, in the best way. So I want to encourage you with this because as we're looking at it, we're seeing that there is a great need that God's desire has always been to put his presence in a place with his people. 
Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3? He's talking about, I've got deep things to tell you. I've got things I want to share with you that are far too deep. You have to hear them by the Spirit. We've got mature things that we want to speak to mature people. But he says, you guys are acting like a bunch of babies. I can't do it. You're fighting about every little stupid thing. You have your little factions, your little divisions. And he says, don't you know? Don't you know? And, and, and that you there is plural. Later on in the same letter, he talks about you, singular. Your body, singular, is a temple for the Holy Spirit. But in 1 Corinthians 3, the first time he mentions it, it's a, don't you guys know? Can I say it that way? Don't you guys know that you guys are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of the living God dwells in you? So listen to this. We've been talking about how in the garden it was, it was, a, it was a temple unto itself. And then... When humanity fell, they lost that. They lost that, that connection, that relationship. But God gives them a mobile temple they can carry around with them because he wants to be with his people. Then God gives them a permanent temple. He says, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to be here. You can come to Jerusalem and you can worship me. Uh, that's not the only place I am, as Stephen said in the book of Acts. But I will tell you, my presence is going to be here. But in the new covenant, Jesus came and was the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he points to the physical temple, and he talks about his own body, and he says, don't you know that this temple is going to be torn down in three days, or torn down, but in the third day it's going to be raised up. And he's talking about his own body. He was a temple for God. And now, he said, now you guys are the temple. You're the place where my spirit dwells. And it's not dwelling in this nice Glory Hills location. It's dwelling in the people. So when we talk about that, and, and, and uh, you know, let me read something to you. I, I, I want to talk, but I got I to read this to you because you'll see it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I know if you didn't bring a Bible that I hope you're writing some stuff down. You're going to read it yourself because I'm trying to rush through this. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at this. He's been talking about how small they've been, how, how held back they've been by their own smallness, how, how they haven't opened their hearts fully. They've been hurt. And I want to encourage you today, if you have closed your heart, you know, we're talking about the church being the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 3, that, that one of the ways that it destroyed the temple, they were wrecking God's temple, was their division, their strife. He says here in the second letter, one of the things that's holding you back is you haven't learned how to open your heart to us or to each other. Maybe you've been hurt in other churches, maybe been hurt in this church, maybe been hurt somewhere else. The truth of the matter is, is if we've been called to be the, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, there's a vulnerability there that you just don't find anywhere else. When you make yourself vulnerable, you will get hurt at times. But you get hurt everywhere. And the truth is, is that you really can't love somebody without at some point being hurt. The trick is, how do you handle that hurt? You know, when I was growing up, and they didn't want us to mess around with the other sex, they always said, you know, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. That verse was pumped into us, guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. So worried that someone's going to bust my heart, you know, don't break your heart, you know. And so there was this guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. Thank God that is a wonderful, wonderful truth. But sometimes in the name of guarding our heart, we've closed our hearts. 
And how are the wellsprings of life supposed to flow out if you've closed your heart? What you're meant to guard it from is, is guard it from being stopped up and closed and, and so scarred that you can't let any life come out. This, these scars are the things, these wounds are the things that God alone can heal. But you think sometimes, and I've thought sometimes, that I need to retreat over here and lick my wounds and God will heal me in solitude away from people because it's people's fault that I'm hurt. But if we're the temple of the living God, if we're the body of Christ, I want to tell you one of the greatest healing vessels that God uses is that same body of Christ. And so I want you to guard yourself from being guarded. I want you to close yourself off from the idea of I'm going to be closed off. And he talks about this, and then he gets to this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He talks about what, what, what fellowship do you have with idols? What, what fellowship do you have with the temple of Baal? And he says, isn't this the promise that God gave you? In verse 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is a picture of who we're meant to be, the temple of God. And I know when he says, come out from them and be separate, that presents a challenge. Because this whole time we've been talking about how Jesus lived among the people in the most broken community, amongst the most desperate people. And Jesus showed us what his holiness looks like. I mean, holiness means to be set apart, to be different. In past times, and this is what the Pharisees did, they thought the way to be holy is to stay away from unholy people. Just make a wall. And the church itself sometimes falls into this. We get so defensive. Please don't let the unholy come into the holy. And I understand that. But I want to tell you what Jesus did was he brought his holiness into unholy places. And he brought his kingdom and his presence. And people were changed by it. And sinners like Zacchaeus say, I'll pay back four times what I stole. Women, uh, the woman who was caught in adultery, who knows what happened to the dude, but the woman who was caught in adultery says, you know what, I, I mean, she's forgiven. He says, go and sin no more. His presence changed something. The, his whole ministry was supported by people who had been delivered from demons because he didn't try to build a wall and say, stay away. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against me. Not prevail against my church. Well, gates don't move, right? People don't carry their gates to war. That means we're going there. There is, there is an advancing. There is a, a spreading of, a, of this wonderful kingdom. And so here's what I want you to see is that holiness, if you want to know what it looks like, you just have to keep looking back at Jesus. He's the most holy that we'll ever see. Yet he did not separate himself from the people physically. But he was always Another. He was always different. We've been called to be otherly. But, I mean, you could just say, I, I've just been called to be different. You could just be weird for the sake of weird. You just be a, just strange. Some people were singing, what would people think if I'm feeling I'm a Jesus freak? And they're just being, 
Jesus weirdos, right? And, and, and you think that's Jesus freak, but the truth is, is we can't define holiness by unholy people. You can't say, like the Pharisee said, thank God I'm not like them. Our holiness is found in relationship with the Father. He said, here's where it comes from. I'll dwell among you. Here's where it comes from. You'll be my kids. I'll be your father. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Holiness is not defined by how different are we from them. Holiness is defined by are we like you. And I just want to encourage you today. Because I know we're from Lloydminster. Lloydminster is big oil rig country. We got a lot of guys in our, in our congregation that work on the oil fields. And it is a tough world. Some of you might work there. It's a tough world because you've got a lot of people coming from other places, a lot of young men that, that are just there to make some money, you know, different situations. And a lot of those guys go, I feel like I'm on the mission field every day. And I say, absolutely you are because God wants to fill those fields with his presence. Kids coming to school going, I feel like I'm in a war zone every day coming home from school. And I say, you are. You need the presence of God when you go. This is why it's so important, guys. That in these times, in these gatherings, that we are filled up to the full. Because you can't fill your world with the fullness of Christ if you're not willing to be filled up with the fullness of Christ. You have got to let yourself be full. And that means stuff's got to get pushed out of the way. That means stuff's got to go away. That means there's other things. If you're going to be full of one thing, sometimes you've got to empty yourselves of other things. But when you are so full of Jesus, this is, what your, this is what your church needs, this is what your community needs, this is what your workplace needs, it's what your school needs, it's what Edmonton, Stony Plain, Spruce Grove, Callahoo, it's what they all need is the presence of God. We think, and I'm wrapping up with this, but we've thought at times that the presence of God was about pr producing this certain atmosphere where, where the keys are just right, the pads are going. Thank God for the pads. We love pads. Preachers love pads. We just have to set a perfect atmosphere. And I want to tell you, I love those moments too. But I believe that God is calling you into chaotic atmospheres. And you'll be holy in those atmospheres. You'll be different in those atmospheres. You'll be weird in those atmospheres. But not because you're just weird for the sake of weird. It's because you're like Jesus. You are distinctly other. Because you're like him. You can't be like him until you spend some time with him. And as you spend time in his word, as you spend time with his people, as you spend time in his presence, you're going to be so full that like the scripture says, you will have a word for the one who's weary. You'll have that prayer for the one who needs healing. You'll have that authority for the one who is bound and, and, and oppressed. You'll have what they need and you have what they need right now. I want to say one more thing. This is the last thing. I'll tell you a quick story. I was sitting right over there at one of our gatherings. This is a couple years ago. We had gathered, some of the ministers had gathered right in this building. Right over there I was sitting. And the talk turned to great things, you know, that we were doing as God was expanding and expanding ministries and churches and talking about building and big, big stuff. And there was some things that began to step out of my comfort and some out of my education and my experience. As I was driving back with some of my friends, we had a minivan, so a lot of the friends were in the van with us. And they were talking about these things and like, man, that's big stuff. I don't know. That's, that's huge. And I said, you know, I'm just not that guy. 
That's like not my expertise. I'm not that guy. And I got to the hotel, and I I had some time in prayer. And I heard the Lord say, you don't get to say you're not that guy. Don't ever say you're not that guy again. You're going to be exactly who I told you you're going to be. You'll be who I called you to be. Whatever I need you to do, that's who you are. And I got back in that van, and on the way back for the night service, I turned around to my friends, and I said, I said this to you, so I need to repent in front of you. I said something that God didn't want me to say. I said, I'm not that guy. And I said, I want to correct it. I want to repent. I'm never going to say that again. I could be whoever God wants me to be. Uh, whatever grace is on us, and we're different, there's definitely different graces. But whatever God calls us to be, that's what we're going to be. And I got there, and I sat in that table right over there. And God began to use, move through a couple of the ministers in, in, in a time of prophecy. And one of them walked right over to us, talked to Tia and I, began to prophesy over us some things that, I just read our mail, what God was pushing us to do, and we were, you know, dipping our toes in. And then he says this, and this is somebody that was not in the van, hadn't talked to any of these friends. He looks at me and says, and don't say you're not that guy. Okay. Because in order for God to fill, he's going to have to fill you with things you haven't, you haven't been, you, I mean, stuff you're not used to, things you don't think you are. You're going to have to learn how to live beyond yourself, that God has called you into a body where we are supernatural, that we are beyond what we thought we are. We're not just a bunch of people who bring natural competency and talents together. We are people who are filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. We are more than we are. So when we come into that place, you don't get to say, I'm not that guy. We don't get to say, we're not that church. That's, that's their thing. That's not our thing. You get to be whatever God tells you to be. Whatever he needs you to be in this time. And the grace of God has appeared. Teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. But teaching us how to live righteously, godly, and sensibly in this present age. That means the present age you live in, 2023, with all its problems, God has given you the grace to be here right now, to be His presence, to be His temple, to be His embodiment. We are the embodiment of Christ. If Jesus were here, what would He do? I know that's an old question, but that's what He's doing through His church. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.